You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We will start there, and as I said earlier, this is going to be a teaching series, and I'm asking the question that many people are asking right now, or our title is that anyway, what in the world? What in the world is going on? We got wars all over the place. We've got unrest. We got people demonstrating, people upset uh, around the world. And so, you know, a lot of hard questions being answered out there. We need some simple answers. We need some Bible, Bible answers, uh, if you will. And I'm going to give you three verses from three different places in the New Testament as it relates to the last days and a lot of the things that we're seeing right now. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 8, and these are the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of sorrows. These are the birth pains. And what are these? What are the things that he is talking about? And he says earlier in that chapter, and I'll read, uh, he says, uh, take heed that no man deceive you. And so this is going to be a season as we move toward the end of time. It's going to be a, a, a time of great spiritual deception. A lot of propaganda going on right now. He says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Man, we got wars and rumors of wars on our wars and rumors of wars. We've got them everywhere. And more people trying to incite, incite wars uh, every day. That's what a lot of these demonstrations are all about. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And so as we go, uh, uh, go or grow closer to the time that Jesus comes back, this is the kind of thing that's going to be uh, going on. It's going to be uh, fairly normal, according to the scripture here. And he goes on to say, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Is that happening? Absolutely. Then he says that there's going to be famines, there's going to be pestilence or diseases, earthquakes in many places. And here's our verse. All these are the beginning of sorrows. They are birth pains, and these things will continue until the fullness of time is complete. In verse 12 he says, and because iniquity shall abound, because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. The love's just going to go right out of people. And if, you, if the love goes right out of people, what's going to take its place? Hate, hate, hate. And honey, I'm, I'm going to tell you, all across the world, they're beating this drum of hate everywhere. And many people are becoming what uh, I heard the other day as useful idiots for the enemy. <laughs> I mean, it's just disastrous. A parallel passage here in Luke 21, 25, he ex, uh, ex, uh, expands on uh, the circumstances of these times and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Are the nations in distress right now? Yes. Um, is it complicated? <laughs> is the Middle East complicated? Absolutely. Then in 2 Timothy he says... That in the last days, perilous times will come. The Greek is that in the last of the last days, perilous times, hard to deal with, hard to bear, shall not just come, but they will set in. They're going to stay. 
This is what it's going to be like in the years before the Lord comes back. This is what it's going to be like in, the, in, in society and on the earth as we move toward the end of time before Jesus comes back in his second coming. And people are saying right now, what in the world is going on? <laughs> what in the world is going on? People are asking questions. But here's the thing, as people are asking questions, you are getting multiple answers, multiple answers to the same question. One person answers it this way. Another person answers it this way. And many of them are, are, uh, you know, have religious hats on. So where do we go with all of this? And why are there so many answers to the same question? Because people are looking at all that's going on through different lenses. That's right. Some are looking at what's going on around our world, particularly in the Middle East, through... Uh, to what I call the humanistic worldview. They're viewing what's going on through human agency, how they think, human reasoning, reasoning what they think, what their thoughts are, uh, how they feel like what's fair and what's not fair and what's righteous and what's not uh, righteous and that kind of thing. It's human reasoning. It's human logic. This is the way that they're viewing what's going on. They say, oh, that's just not fair. That's, that, that, that's just not fair. Others in the Middle East are viewing it through the Islamic worldview. And dangerously, some are viewing it through the radical Islamic worldview. They say, those people don't even have a right to exist. And that is why you have different reasoning or different answers, because they're looking through it through different lenses. And then there's some people who are looking at what's going on through a biblical worldview. They're viewing what's going on through what the scriptures teach. And so we've got all of these answers that come from different ways to view what's going on. And it all comes down to this. Who is the authority? That's what it comes down to. Who gets to determine what's right? Who gets to say that this is righteous? Who has the right to say this is righteous? Who has the right to say this is moral? Who has the right to say with authority, this is the truth and this is what's right? Those who wear humanistic glasses... Should we interpret and go by a humanistic worldview? Should we go by an Islamic worldview? Should we go by a biblical worldview? What I have to share with you this morning, I'm going to be sharing from a biblical worldview. What God says about this. Now you will notice that last verse up there says that in the last days perilous times will come. I don't know if you have put this together yet, but let me share with you the last two verses of that same chapter. And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Oh my goodness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is God breathed. 
He has breathed the truth into this book. He has breathed His truth into His prophets. Over 5,000 times it says in this book, And God said, or, and this is the word of the Lord. 5,000 times. It is God breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the person of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Right there it is. And so I share with you this morning the burden of my heart that the Lord has given unto me about a biblical worldview to answer some of these issues and address some of these issues that is plaguing our world right now, especially in the Middle East. I don't have anything of value to say from a human standpoint, but I have very important information from God's Word and what He has to say on this. And so that's the way that I'm approaching it this morning as a biblical worldview. The first thing we're going to deal with, and this is the big, one of the big issues, is the issue of the land. Who has a right to the land? Who has a right to that tiny piece of land over there that's about the size of New Jersey? Who has a right? We got one group saying it's their land. We got another group that's saying their land. And it's just, just back and forth. So who has the right to the land? We're going to deal with the issue of the land. I want you to turn to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. In the very first verse. And it says, In the beginning, God created, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Did you get that? Who created the heaven and the earth? God did. That's very simple. And as you go on down through there, God divides the night from the day, or he creates the light and divides the night from the day. Then he divides the water from, uh, the, you know, the dry land. In verse 9 it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. In verse 11 he says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, herb yielding seed, fruit tree, and so forth and so on. And it goes on. In verse 20 it says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly moving creatures. And so they created uh, life in the water. Then in verse 24, He said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after its kind, cattle, creeper things. So He brings forth animal life on dry land. In verse 26, And God said, Let us, who's the us? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and basically over everything. And so there you go in about 30 seconds, creation of humanity. Now, so God created the heavens and the earth and all they, they contain. In just the first few books of God's word, as God breathed, inspired of God, we find out who is the creator. So as creator, he is what? Who owns it? Well, there you go. God owns it. Does the word of God tell us that God is the owner? Does he claim ownership? In Leviticus 25, 23, the Lord says, For the land is mine, and you are sojourners, literally aliens, aliens and you will sojourn, and you, 
and uh, enjoy the land with me. Also, in Psalm 24, the word of the Lord says this, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it. So God is the creator. He is the owner. It tells us the story. And God create and claims ownership. Psalm 50, 12 that's mentioned there is absolutely hilarious. God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. <laughs> that's what it says. God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you because the Lord is mine and all it contains. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, there's a repeat and a confirmation of Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, the world and all that dwells therein. So I ask you, who created everything? God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, Elohim God, many different names, but God, Yahweh God. So, he created. Who owns it? God does. Does God have the right to give his land, his, the things that he owns, to whoever he wants to? Does he have the sovereign right to give what he wants to to whoever he wants to? Yes, he does. According to a biblical worldview based upon the Bible, God is the owner. He created, he's the owner, and he has the right to give whatever he wants to to whoever he wants to because he is God and we are not. Amen? Now, I want to share with you some things that God has done. I want to share with you some divine promises now I'll just turn up to chapter 12 of Genesis. Chapter 12 of Genesis. And listen as I read. Now, verse 1. The Lord, who's the creator, and he owns it all, said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show you. And I remind you that Abram was a Gentile. He was a pagan from a pagan country. And God put a special call on this man's life to come out from all of that. And come to me and I'm going to show you a land. And I will make thee a great nation. Oh my goodness. And I will bless you and make your name great. And, thou shall be, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And I will curse him who curses thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Folks, there's the root of our redemption right there in Genesis chapter 12. The redemptive heart of God for mankind. So Abraham departed, or Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. How old? 75 years old when he departed. And Abram took his wife, Sarai, and his brother's son, and all their substance, and they made it to, and they went forth into the land of Canaan. Bottom of verse 5, and into the land of Canaan they came, and Abram passed through the land, 
into the place of Shechem and unto the plain of Morath. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed, your offspring, your descendants, will I give this land. Folks, how clear is that? Crystal clear. God has called a man out of paganism. He says, I got a special purpose for you in your life, and I want you to come to me, and I'm going to bring you and put you in a land of my choosing. God has a right to give his land, his property, to whomever he wants. In chapter 13, verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, westward and all the land which thou seest to thee I give it to thy offspring your descendants forever and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth verse 17 arise walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it for I give it unto thee now there's several things going on here one he says, I'm going to make you a nation of people. And this is an interesting promise because he don't have any kids. He and his wife don't have kids. Sarah couldn't have children. She's barren. And God says, I'm going to do something miraculous in you. I'm going to do something special and unique in you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Second thing I want you to see from chapter 12 is there's a universal blessing. Through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Wow. And then the third thing I want you to see, a designated land. He says, I'm giving you a land. You know, if you're going to be a nation of people, you've got to have a nation. You've got to have a place to hang out. What was the land that God gave them? What was it called in the Bible? In chapter 12, the land of what? Canaan. I give you the land of Canaan. I give it to your descendants. And in both of those texts, two things, very important. The promise to make you a great nation and the promise to give you a designated land called Canaan. God has a right to call whomever he wants to call. God has a right to give the land to whomever he wants to give it. And he gave it to Abram in these texts. You're following me. Now I want to ask you a question. If your earthly father gave you a piece of property, would you receive it? Abraham, or Abram at this point, received this as a divine decree from God. Thus saith the Lord, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I give you a designated land. Now, let's move on. I want you to see what I'm going to call the binding covenant. We could have talked talk, uh, or mentioned the nature of it, but I, I use the word binding because I want you to see this. In Genesis 15, turn over to Genesis 15. In verse 1 it says, And these things, the word of the, and these, after these things, the word of the Lord. What were these things? God just gave him a mighty victory over those who took Lot. And he gave him a victory, and he's feeling kind of 
you know, worried that other people are going to gather and come against him. And this is what the Lord said to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what would you give me seeing I go childless? See, we're way down the road now. Several years has passed by. He's not had any kids yet. He said, what are you going to give me since I don't have any children? And he says, can we let Eliezer, the steward of my house, be my heir? He was living in his house. And in verse 4, God answers him and says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir. Did you get that? This shall not be your heir. But he that shall come forth out of your own body shall be your heir. In verse 5, and he brought him forth, God brought him forth abroad and said, now look toward the heaven and look at the stars if you're able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Tad burn, folks, here is that promise again. He just keeps telling him. And listen to verse 6. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought ye out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. There it is again. I promised make you a great nation, and I promised to give you. This is three times now that he said this. And then verse 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying... Unto your seed have I given this land. And then he gives borders from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Way bigger than what they're occupying right now. I call this a binding covenant. I want you to see this. This covenant was ratified by blood, verses 8 through 10. He tells Abram to sacrifice a heifer of three years and a she-goat of three years and a ram of three years, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he was to take them, all these, and divide them. And so Abram did that. And God made a covenant, a blood covenant with him. In those days, the way they made covenants, if two people entered into a covenant together, they took an animal, they cut it in two, divided it, and then walked between the animal and walked through the blood as a symbol of ratifying that covenant, that agreement that they made. And that is what God did with Abram. Something else here. It's not stated in the text, but it's certainly implied that God will be the one who keeps both sides of this covenant. Abraham, he can't keep it. He can't even have kids, naturally. His wife is barren. And yet he's going to be a great nation of people. And he said... It will come from your body and Sarah's body. Abraham can't keep it. But what Abraham's part was this. Faith. One other thing. This covenant included the land. So here is the Abrahamic covenant. The promise to be a great nation. The promise to be a, you know, a multitude of peoples. And also you're going to have your own land of which you are to live. Now I want you to look at verse 6. Before we move off of this, I want you to see what Abraham's part was this, in this. And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. 
Now I want you to look in your text and tell me what's stacked above it and what's stacked below it. What's stacked above it is the promise to be a great nation of people. And what's stacked below it, the promise for the land. And right in the middle is sandwiched faith. Abraham believed in the Lord even though he didn't have kids at this point and he's been years down the road. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen. Here is Abraham exercising his faith. This is an unconditional binding covenant with Abraham. And God is going to make sure that both sides of it are kept. His side and Abraham's side. Now, let's move on. Now, I want you to see what I call the sign of the covenant. In chapter 17 of Genesis. And obviously, we're not reading all these. I want you to go back and study it. You can get this off the uh, web website the, and uh, study this through. In verse 1, it says, When Abraham or Abram was 90 years old and nine. So, how old is he now? 99 years old. 24 years. You ever get tired of waiting on God? <laughs> Come on, God. You promised this. You promised us. And we're waiting on you. We're waiting on a building, Lord. <laughs> 24 years. He was 75 years old when God made this promise to him. Is that amazing? And if you remember between chapter 15 and 16, they had a carnal plan for children that just blew up in their face and is the cause of all that mess that's over there today. Abraham went into his wife's handmaid, Hagar, and produced a son named what and who? Ishmael. And listen to who Ishmael is. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the midst of all his brethren. Oh, there it is. Let's get back to chapter 17. Verse 2. And I will make my covenant between you. Verse 3. And Abraham fell on his face. And God talked with him saying. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. There's several things going on here. First, I want you to see what I'm going to call name changes. In verse 5, he says, Neither shall I call thy name Abram, but thou shalt call your name Abraham, for a father of many nations will I make you. The name Abram means exalted father. The name Abraham means what? A father of a multitude, father of, of many. And God changed his name. Next thing, he reaffirms the promises again. He just, God keeps telling them again and again. In verse 6, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee. Kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed and after you and their generations for an everlasting what? Covenant. In verse 7, to be a God to you and to your seed after you. In verse 8, I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger, all the land of what? Canaan. For an everlasting possession. 
and I will be their God. So he reaffirms the promises again. <laughs> what are we up to now? Four times? And we, ain't, we, we, don't even, we haven't even got out of Genesis. And now here's the sign of that covenant. In verse 9, it's circumcision. And God said unto Abram, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep. Verse 11, And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token, literally a sign, and a symbol of the covenant between me and you. So this is the sign of the covenant. He changed his name. And the name change signifies the promise of God and the covenant that God made with him. He reaffirms the promises again to make him a great nation. To use him, to bless him. And he also, I give you Canaan as an everlasting possession. How long is everlasting, people? Forever. And so there it is. And before we leave this chapter, Abram, who is Abraham now, asks this question. What about Ishmael? What about him? Oh, that he would live before you, God, and be a part of that covenant that you want to bless. And this is what God says. Verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I understand where you're coming from, but behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princesses shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time next year. So how many years we got? 24 and 1 is what? 25 before it came true and Isaac was born unto him. So this is the sign of the covenant. It changed his name, reviewed the promises, reaffirmed those, and now he carries in his body a physical mark, a very personal mark that God has a special purpose for him and his descendants. Amen? That's the sign of the covenant. Now, let's keep rolling. The rightful heirs to the land. Who has the right to the land? Who has the right to the land? That's what you hear all over the place. Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're having a Bible study here today. Chapter 1 and verse 8. Moses finishes his final preaching in this book and then dies and it goes to Joshua. And he says in verse 8, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their seed forever. And what is that land? It's the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan. And he uh, says it again in chapter 9 in verse 5. It is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I'm asking you, after all that you have heard, what is the biblical worldview of who has a right to the land? The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. What does that mean? Eliezer is not an heir. God said no. He's not going to be a part of the covenant. That's what God said. 
Ishmael is not an heir. Despite what half the world or more than half the world is saying now. These are the Arab, Arab peoples. According to Genesis 17, 18 through 21, we just read it this morning. God said, no. My covenant will be established with Isaac. Esau is not an heir. Jacob and uh, Esau were twins. God chose Jacob and he rejected Esau. Say, well, that's not fair. That's not up to you, is it? In God's sovereignty, he has the right to choose who he wants to choose and reject what he, who he wants to reject. And the word of God is very clear about this, that Jacob is a part of the Abrahamic and in the line of the covenant, and Esau and his descendants are not. God has rejected him. Now, all over the world you see in these signs, Many of our young people at our universities demonstrating, holding up signs that says apartheid. Holding up signs that says colonialism. Holding up signs that say occupiers. Is that true according to the Bible? No. They're just possessing what God gave them. You know, we, we like living down here in Florida, do we not? Especially in the wintertime. How do they like to come down here? Well, where'd you get your land? Come from your father. Where'd he get it? Where'd he get it? He took it from somebody, didn't he? Listen. They are simply wanting to live in peace on the land that God gave them. That's it. <laughs> that, that is it. This business of colonialism, they're saying, oh, the British gave it to them, the United Nations. No, they didn't. God gave it to them. God gave it to them. So who has the right to the land? The rightful heirs of the land are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's very clear. Very clear. The land belongs to them. Now, we're going to jump forward a good ways in the process. Jacob had a whole bunch of kids. They became a great nation. They had to go down into Egypt to survive. And in Genesis 15, God foretold of their 400 plus years there under hard taskmasters. He said, I will bring you out. And what did God bring them out for? To bring them into the land. Their land. And so God has brought them into the land. And then because of their disobedience and rebellion against God, God scattered his people all over the place. They went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And then God brought them back. And all of those scriptures up there deal with that issue. The whole book of Isaiah, the whole book of Jeremiah is about the Babylonian captivity. And them going off and them coming back to the land. But in those verses up there, especially those last two, God promises he's going to bring them back to their land. And he did. They came back from Babylonian captivity. They rebuilt the temple. And they went on and on and on. And they've been there a little bit in some stage uh, all, all of this time. But I want you to listen to Amos. <clears throat> 
what he says here. Verse 14, And I will bring uh, back the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities, inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine, and they shall make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord our God. God has placed them in the land. God has placed them in the land, and they're not going out of that land. Now, they might be surrounded, and it looks like they're out for the count and all like that. But who established the promise here? God did. God established the promise. He promised them that Abraham would be a great nation, and he has been. Amen? And he's promised to give them the land, and he has. This is our biblical worldview of who owns the land, who has a right to it. Now, i got a question I want to answer. The devil's trying to cut us off here. Who is opposed to God's authority? Who is opposed to God's plan? There you go. Folks, this ain't a battle between flesh and blood like the world wants you to think it is. This is a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between God and Satan. And that screen may go off, but I'm not, okay? Listen, this is a battle between the righteous and the unrighteous. You understand that? Those who are anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Israel, and anti-Christ say no. They don't have a right to the land. You get that? And the world is showing itself right now. Perk up and pay attention. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting what the scriptures teach. They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting Israel's right to the land. They're rejecting the plan of God. Those who have a different worldview is saying, no, don't receive any of this. This is a spiritual battle between God and between Satan. Do you see that? All right. God's redemptive plan for humanity began with Abram. You say, my salvation in Jesus Christ goes all the way back to that? I am a response to that in Christ and a benefit from that in Christ? Absolutely. He says, in Abram, you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's from your New Testament, from the book of Galatians. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That the blessing of who? Oh my goodness, come on. <laughs> that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, which is us, in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise? Yes. This is why we stand with Israel. This is why the Holy Land is important to us. The promised land to them, holy land to us. 
Our salvation, the word of God came through the Jewish people to us. Our Savior was Jewish, Yeshua, Jesus. He died in Bethlehem. He was buried and he rose the third day or, or died in Jerusalem. He was buried and he rose in Jerusalem in resurrection power. He ascended from Jerusalem. He birthed the church, the New Testament church, into existence in Jerusalem. He ascended from Jerusalem back to heaven. And when he comes at his second coming, where is he coming, folks? To Jerusalem. This is why we stand with Israel. They're the ones who have the right to the land. And our very salvation, the roots of it, go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenants. This is why the Jew and the Christian stand together. Amen? Amen. So, when you see all of that stuff out there, all that propaganda that's going on, at least you have heard the truth from God's word. And you understand about the issue of the land. Who has God given to the land to for an everlasting blessing and a possession? Israel. And by the way, it's not called Palestine in the Bible. It's called Israel. Palestine is used one time, and it never refers to the whole land of Israel. It only refers to the land of the Philistines. More propaganda. Israel is used 2,500 times in your Bible. Israel, Israel, Israel. Speaking of the descendants of Jacob, speaking of the land Israel, and Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. There you go. We stand with Israel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow before the Lord.